everybody. This is Mike, and welcome to episode 73 of the Mike and Dave podcast. A lot has happened since episode 72. The Super Bowl happened, the NBA trade deadline passed, and we are here to talk about that. Both of those things got plenty to say, and it should be a good episode. But before we get into either of those major segments, we have off the top. If you're keeping track at home, you know that it's Dave's turn to bring the prompt for that, so I will kick it over to him. What's up, everybody? This is Dave. And yeah, it's also kind of a giveaway. Whoever starts the episode is the one who's not coming up with the off the top, so that's also just a way to know. Um, Regardless, speaking of current events, we just... I was going to say partook in. We we weren't there. Um, But we, we, we watched... All-Star Weekend unfold in the NBA. And I don't, Mike, maybe you saw this coming uh, for this, this episode's off the top. But after the dust settled, after the nets rippled however many freaking times in, in the All-Star game, over 200 points for the East, it was kind of a, a, a unanimous cry among fans and media members alike what can we do to make All-Star Weekend or just the All-Star Game specifically more enjoyable, more competitive, something? We need more than what we just experienced. Um, you know, gone are the days of Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan facing off in the dunk contest. Um, we did have Steph versus Sabrina, which I thought was a cool idea, a cool concept, and I'm glad that it was it was a close matchup and it was, you know, that was kind of an interesting new thing. But realistically, the All-Star game, they they, they moved the, the rules back to the way they used to be. No drafts. It's just East versus West. Normal basketball game, except for the fact that no one gave a shit about defense, um, even though Adam Silver was really pushing for it, which led to an, you know, altogether uncompetitive all-star game which realistically we see all the best players in the nba together on on the same court we kind of want to see who's the best right um we want to see them pit themselves against each other and see what Kawhi versus lebron would be like or, or you know whatever um so all that to say do you have any ideas, you know, ring up Adam Silver and be like, hey, man, this could help save All-Star Weekend in the future or specifically the All-Star Game, whichever one. Is there a particular event that you would add? Is there a particular particular like mode or like something that happens during the All-Star Game to make it more competitive? Would you Would you like make the winner of the All-Star Game get a certain prize, you know, anything like that, what would your solution be? So a couple of thoughts. Number one, it is really sad. When I was growing up, like middle school, high school age, I always referred to All-Star Weekend as my favorite weekend of the year. And I meant that because, you know, from like Friday night, like I wouldn't make any plans that weekend. All I was doing was sitting in front of my TV, watching every element of All-Star Weekend. 
the skills challenge, the rookie versus sophomore game, the three-point shootout, the dunk contest, the all-star game. It was all stuff that I was excited to see. And this year, like, I didn't even turn on the all-star game. I mean, like, sorry if that's bad to say, being a co-host of a sports podcast, but, like, I knew what that shit was about to be. Um, and it really is, I think, a matter of taste in that what I used to be in or what I still am interested in and what I knew I wasn't going to get was a competitive basketball game, you know, uh, throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. That's what we got. Um, guys like wanting to go at each other and show that they were like a deserving of being all-stars, but be like capable of carrying that team that they were that good. And now it's not about competition. Like they can market it as being quote unquote competitive or whatever and trying to win. But like, you can't tell me that that's a competitive game. Like you just look at them playing it. Like, obviously I've gone in and like since watched like the full highlights or whatever. So it's like, I'm not blind to anything that happened on Sunday, but no one cares. There's no defense. Um, Even at the end, like, beginning and no one actively cares i mean they shot 168 threes in that one game um like we could focus in on that i mean and what that means no closeouts and no penetration it's just guys jogging back and forth walking back and forth your turn to shoot your turn to shoot your turn to shoot dame I don't care that he made them. Dame put up multiple half-court shots where the closest defender was at the three-point line. Like, there's a reason Dame doesn't shoot these in regular games. It's because those games matter for something, and that's a very low-percentage shot. So, I guess, like, the point of the All-Star game has become, like, just screw around, have fun, and, like, maybe do something amusing. Like, but for fans of basketball that want a competitive experience, that's gone. Um, as for like what I do to fix it, I mean, there has to be an incentive there. And I don't want the incentive to be prize money. Um, because a, we kind of talked about this when it came to the in-season tournament, but I think it's kind of like, especially with the all-star game, I think it would be bad practice to further be like, okay, if we want you to try, we have to give you even more money than the millions that you make in contracts. And these are the best players, so they're all filthy rich, you know? Um, it's not like the in-season tournament where you got guys at the bottom of the bench making like 460000 you know, scraps. <laughs> um, but everyone on that court is making ostensibly at least like $15 million a year, and that's if they're on a team-friendly deal for an all-star. Usually they're going to be making like $30, $40 million. So I don't want to be like, oh yeah, all you like top dollar making NBA stars will give you another million dollars if you um I did see this floated it was a former player, I believe. I don't remember who said it, but he had said, What if the winner of the All-Star game, keeping it east west, of course, gets home court advantage in the finals? And I thought that was interesting. Um 
I, you, I, you'd get you get half of the players who are on good competitive teams <laughs> to compete, and then half of the players who are like maybe we'll make the play in to just like who cares? Yeah, <laughs> sit out the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, like, but then I guess what you well part of it though is like you got the coaches who don't even get me started on doc rivers um the travesty it was for him to be coaching there but typically speaking your coaches for the all-star games are going to be coaches of teams that have a real shot at going to the finals so at least the coaches would be incentivized and the best players on the teams in theory would also have a shot at getting to the finals. So there would be some incentive there. And That's I true. think like, you know, we can't incentivize it with money and we can't really do anything with picks, but like if you give them some sort of competitive edge and with it being made up of guys from different teams, that's the only really, that's really the only way I see fit to do it right now. Um, but I think that could help at the end of the day, they have to be playing for something because pride isn't it, you know? They're all content to just show up and piddle around. I mean, yeah. As for any competition, I would add, um, I fear that it could have the same eventual look as the All-Star game itself, but for years I've been seeing like talk of a one-on-one tournament and I can see guys like Luka or Jokic or whatever going into that and just being like, eh, I'm just going to screw around, you know, whatever. But I feel like more so than the all-star game, there is a vested element of pride in that because it's literally like, oh, it's not this guy just trotting up the court and shooting on his team. I'm on the other side of the court, whatever. It's if this guy score, like if I'm, I don't know, if I'm Tyrese Halliburton or something and I'm like, okay, if Kyrie Irving scores – it's not just that he scored, it's that he scored on me. And if I score, it's not just that someone left me open, it's that I scored over Luca or, you know, Ka- Kawhi or whatever. Um, so both of those, the 1v1 tournament and, like, the home court incentive for the All-Star game, I think would both provide, like, something to play for other than just, like, an extra cash prize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are 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 good ideas and the home home court advantage in the finals is a weird one for me. Um they used to do that with the MLB All-Star game and people just kind of ended up hating it because it was just it's not really about the teams that make it. <laughs> like theoretically a team that makes the finals could have no All-Stars on it um or all-stars that like one all-star that plays 10 minutes or something and then they are the ones who get the home court advantage um so it they got rid of that a while ago but it is an interesting concept um to be honest when when i think about it i think about what the nfl has done with the pro bowl to where they've just turned into flag football and then they have all these different like challenges and like mini games almost that they do. And there are so many of those types of games that you could do in basketball 
that would be really entertaining to watch and i think the players could get a kick out of um one of those being the one-on-one or even 3v3 tournaments um or even you could even do like all right let's have a game of horse with some of the best basketball players in the world let's get steph you know katie whoever else in there and just see like who who could win that and what kind of crazy shots they could make you know um i just think that would be so interesting to watch or even some like take some some classic games that you would play just like on a random court on the street or or like on your basketball goal in the you know in your uh driveway like do even do stuff like that like or like king of the court or like anything else like any of those types of of games to where you just kind of get more you know more of that mini game style it's not like this official like big all-star game where it's like official quarter times and whatever like we're trying to actually make it into a game like just take it for what it is it's not really about that but let's let's kind of if we're just wanting to like piddle around just have fun with it and like let's actually do that (laughs) um and make it a little bit fresher where i'm not i'm not saying we should just completely get rid of the all-star game but adding some of these other things could be really interesting like who wouldn't want to watch a horse competition between some of the best basketball players in the world. You know what I mean? Um, that would be really cool because, like, you know, if if you and I go play horse right now, it's like, okay, maybe I shoot a three and, like, you know, you might make it, you might miss it. Maybe then you go, you shoot a free throw. Maybe I make it, maybe I miss it. But, like, NBA players? Like, Steph and KD can't just be like, all right, I'm going to shoot a three. And it's like a 50-50 on if you make it or miss it. Like, it's a warm-up shot. You know, they're going to make it more often than not. So they have to be outrageous. They have to do half-court shots or bleacher shots or whatever. Like, it's not going to devolve into like, okay, now you shoot an elbow jumper. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, so that that's something that, that I thought of when I was thinking of off the top for this. Um, but just something to where... And also, like, potentially just have it to where the only all-stars can participate. Like, the way that they do it in the Pro Bowl is only the... I mean, you're not just getting random end-of-the-bench guys or guys who normally play in the XFL to to come and participate in the Pro Bowl games. Like, it's all the Pro Bowlers. You know, maybe they're not playing in every single one of the competitions, but they're at least going to be a part of a couple of them. Maybe you should make it so that all the all-stars have to participate in, you know, a couple of these different events or whatever. And, you know, if it is like a one-on-one tournament or if it is horse or whatever, like you can have some some fun with that to a degree, but also there's going to be that element of competitiveness too that I think would be interesting. So, I don't know. I mean, I think universally people, even if they're not super into it, they like, I think the the changes that the NFL has made with the Pro Bowl have been pretty much praised and more people are interested in seeing the different competitions and stuff than the actual game where they don't tackle each other. Um it's kind of the same thing with the NBA. If you don't play defense then like kind of what's the point? Um and you know guys don't want to get injured or whatever, that's fine, but like it it doesn't have to be that serious. So anyway, I just thought that was an interesting 
thing to think about coming off of an all-star weekend that by all accounts was pretty underwhelming. Yeah. So there's something else that you said there. Uh, you said, you know, make it so it's the actual all-stars competing and not guys that were in the XFL or end of the bench guys or whatever. I feel like this is a good enough time to transition into our hot seat for the episode. I know back-to-back episodes where we're doing the hot seat way ass early. What are you going to do about it? This is our show. Um, for the hot seat for this episode, we just kind of put the dunk contest. Um, and I'm using off the top as my sort of vehicle to just like continue to bitch and moan about the all-star weekend. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're over 17 minutes in of doing it. We're going to keep it going for a little while longer, folks. I've hijacked the segment. We're going to get the positives out of the way first because there aren't many. Um, shout out to Jalen Brown for competing in the slam dunk contest as what I've got to say is the biggest star to compete in it in at least like 10 years or so. I mean, 10 years ago, Giannis competed in it, but he wasn't like Giannis yet. You know, he was averaging like 12 a game at that point. Dwight Howard competed in it like a few, several years back, but he was like past his prime Lakers, 34-year-old Dwight Howard. Um, and we've had guys that are stars in the dunk contest, in the dunk contest, you know, 2016, Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon. That's for my money. Like I have that as the best dunk contest ever. Um, but these are guys who are star dunkers, no shade to them, but like Zach Levine, still with the Timberwolves at the time, you know, Jalen Brown is an actual like all-star or like right below caliber player. And that's just not something we have in the dunk contest. Like we used to, um, when we had guys that were like elite players, like Dwight Howard, the first few times he was in the dunk contest or, you know, heaven forbid, Dominic Wilkins and Michael Jordan, you know, um, Vince Carter. So I want to shout him out for that. Um, because, it's tough. You know, if you're a star player, what do you have to gain? Like you win the dunk contest, which has kind of fallen off or has really fallen off in the last like seven years or so. It's not as big of a bragging right as it used to be, but what do you have to lose? You get roasted into oblivion on social media for shitting the bed. Transitioning here. I'd like to roast Jalen Brown into oblivion for shitting the bed because he should be ashamed of himself for that quote-unquote tribute to D. Brown. Like, you know, back in like 1991 or 92, whatever it was, I think it was 91, when D. Brown did that dunk in the dunk contest where he put his his head in his, uh, in his elbow, the no-look dunk, and then Jalen Brown tried to pass it off like that's what he did, but he didn't put his head in until after he had already dunked the damn ball. Um, and he, he jumps, he has the the uh, courage to jump over Kai Sinat. Maybe I'm just an old fogey. I have no clue who this is, but I know he's five foot three and that's something I could probably jump over. Um, Like in the same dunk contest that Shaq has already been jumped over twice by Mac McClung and Hame Hawkes, like five foot three, like, come on. (laughs) Um, So, I don't know, I wanted to get that out of the way. But let me just say this, and I think this is a good way to put the hot seat. 
the reigning back-to-back champion for the NBA dunk contest is a G League player, Mac McClung, shout out, he did well, who has, over the past three seasons, played a total of 65 NBA minutes over a total of four NBA games. That is our reigning back-to-back NBA slam dunk champion. Like, I wanted to lead off with Jalen Brown to say that stars don't play, but it's beyond that. It's that we have a G League player coming in, winning, and we're looking at him and going, he's trying to save the dunk contest. Where is everyone else? You can't, you're telling me you only need four guys to compete in the dunk contest? Every team has a roster of 15. That's like 450 players. You can't get four to put on a good show? Yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, at this point, just ask Chris Staples and Isaiah Rivera and all these like professional dunkers to come on and then just do like a mini dunk league or whatever for the dunk contest because these guys are actually insane at dunking and I'm sure would relish the opportunity to come and participate. But I mean, at this point, yeah, Mac McClung is a professional basketball player. But like, if you're talking about NBA players, he's not that much closer to being an NBA player than than I am. Like, it's he's he's barely one. It's kind of like you're bending the rules to get him in there. And he's the best dunker by like by a significant distance of the people that are competing. So it's I I totally agree. I mean, I it's disappointing. Um it's a little confusing. Like you said, what do they have to gain? I mean, to me, you like if you're a star, like sure, not every star is going to be good. It's not even every star can dunk. <laughs> like we're we're not saying, hey, Trey Young. <laughs> Yogi, go out go, out go and show out yeah honestly but like there are a good amount of young stars in this league like imagine if we had anthony edwards in the dunk contest like that would be insane um john moran that would be insane um you know it's just one of those things where like you could be the guy to bring the dunk contest back of all those names like you mentioned dominique MJ, Vince Carter, like if you are able to put on a show or whatever, and you're like one of the big, like Jalen Brown is a star, but he's not somebody that a casual fan is going to turn on to see dunk. Um, There are, there are not that many of them, but they're going to be at all-star weekend. Um, So it's just one of those things where like, yeah, you could, you could help rebuild the legacy of the dunk contest, which is an iconic thing. Um, but unfortunately, I think a lot of the the young guys that are coming up that have the athleticism, the the ability to, you know, put on a good show. Maybe it's been so long since the dunk contest was even super relevant, other than that twenty sixteen year, that they're just like, eh, it's not really that big of a deal because they didn't grow up when it was. So I don't know what the what the solution is, other than somebody just step up and and actually go at it. Um, or even like maybe Anthony Edwards and John Morant, if he can keep his hands, keep his hands to himself, um, and stay off IG live. Uh, if they, you know, just imagine Anthony Edwards versus John Morant in the dunk contest next year. Everybody who's an NBA fan is tuning in to watch that. 
guaranteed. And I bet that they would put on a really good show as well. But will they do it? Who knows? So it's, there's an opportunity there. But so far, no one's really taking it. It would also be different if it was Jalen Brown and then three other guys who were like fairly well known across the league. Like how many people even knew that Obi Toppin had a brother that played in the NBA? Right. Like Jaime Hawkes, like to be fair, I I wasn't pick like you don't picture him as participating in the dunk contest. Like shout out to him for participating and he did fine for what I expected. But like that's not who you're really thinking of. When you're competing against a G League player, a guy who barely plays any minutes, and a dude who like low-key isn't really that athletic, um, and none of them are, re- are big names at all, like, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, it would be different if it was Jalen Brown, uh, I mean, even somebody like Alex Caruso put in like a big who's like pretty athletic, like like Nick Claxton or something like that. And then, you know, obviously, like, put in, like, an Anthony Edwards or something. Even, like, guys that at least people are a little bit more familiar with that are, I mean, Miles Bridges, apparently he got all of those charges dismissed, so he's going to be sticking around. Like, we know how crazy of a dunker he is. It would be different if Jalen Brown was competing against some of those guys instead of just dudes you never even heard of. Um, Because then it just kind of levels the playing field in a way of – okay, at least these are all, like, recognizable, like, NBA names. But all that being said, it's, you know, it is what it is. We can complain all we want. They're, we can't force these guys to to participate. And I guess, like, and this is just a little bit of a reflection on how the game has changed to be more three-point centered, but we've been talking about stars not competing in the dunk contest. You look at the guys that, competed in the three-point contest and it's like Tyrese Halliburton superstar Dame superstar like Donovan Mitchell superstar Trey Young superstar you know like you go down the line and it's like all the big names right and if Steph hadn't been competing against Sabrina Nesco in a different competition he would have been there uh Clay's done it a, a number of times like the big names do the three-point contest and you know, going back to like when I was in middle school, high school, like it was, I felt like that was a decent mix of like, oh yeah, you have like Dirk over here, you know, one of the best players in the NBA at the time. Oh, and over here's Jason Capono. Um, and like, he'll mess around and win it, you know, like, uh, it's a healthy balance of like role player, like specialists, sharpshooters and like leaders of the team. But the dunk contest is just like, who are some guys with good verts, you know? Or average verts. Yeah. I mean, even like Derek Jones Jr., who, by the way, did well when he was in the dunk contests. But even that, like, it's a guy with a high vert, but, like, not someone that's going to make people tune in to see it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think we've gotten our point across. But, yeah, the All-Star Weekend as a whole – it's tough. It's a it's a bit of a flop, to be honest. We need to see some changes. Let's make it happen. Let's see. Let's get horse. Hashtag put horse in the in All Star Weekend. Because <laughs> that 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 would be to me that would be the crowning jewel. Forget the the dunk contest or the All Star game. Give me, let's just get give me King of the Court. 
that's what I would love to see. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, that'll, that'll wrap up off the top and the hot seat. Haven't said that one before. Uh, when we come back, we'll take a little bit of a break from basketball and we'll discuss the Super Bowl uh, and, you know, what are our thoughts on the game and everything. And then we'll move into some of our thoughts on the trade deadline. Okay, another year, another Super Bowl. And I've got to say, it's a little annoying because they keep winning. But the Kansas City Chiefs, you're looking at the newest dynasty in the NFL, folks. Um, of course, the the 49ers couldn't quite get it done again. Uh, Kyle Shanahan couldn't quite get it done again. And Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, and the crew, even in a, quote, down year, they managed to pull it out and win the biggest game in sports. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we'll break it down a little bit further. I do want to point out both of us picked the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl in our Super Bowl predictions episode. So shout out to us. Um, normally we're like, oh, like maybe I'll pick the other team just because. But I was like, nope, I'm going to pick the Chiefs because it just seems like it's foolish to pick against them at this point. Which, to be honest, that's exactly what we've said about Tom Brady and the Patriots in the past. So when I say dynasty, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think that's an important comparison to bring up. We talked on the last episode, not like we're alone in bringing up this talking point, but Mahomes is chasing Brady for GOAT status. And yeah, like you said, couldn't bet against Brady, can't bet against Mahomes. And he's turning 29 this year, and he already has three Super Bowl wins. Uh, I guess, is it three Super Bowl MVPs now? Two regular season MVPs? Uh he's on pace which is wild to think about given how you know when brady won his seventh it was like oh that'll never be touched and he he retires and immediately we're like huh well mahomes is on pace to do it um and he certainly has the talent it's wacky but a dynasty 100 percent. he's one of five quarterbacks to win three or more super bowls and he's not even 30 yet <laughs> crazy i'm looking at how the chiefs were performing and being and being talked about earlier into the season and this is something we talked about a little bit on the last episode but there were problems with their receivers dropping passes um they were smart to not play Kadarius tony my goodness um but we looked at that team and we were like there's a weakness that's going to come back and bite him in the ass. You know, like you can't get this stuff right. Like in the regular season, you think it's just going to magically be okay in the postseason. Yes. Apparently. <laughs> apparently. So um, it'll be fine. Uh, Cause Mahomes is apparently the great panacea of the NFL. So that's excellent. Um, I guess what I'm getting at here is like, I, there is a, a big part of me that appreciates their winning for making sports that much less predictable, at least in connection with what I just said, right? It, we like to look at things early in the season, midway through the season and go, okay, that's going to be their Achilles heel. And then for them to just be like, no, you're just going to say, never mind to that. It, it creates this, like you do have to watch the games every week. This is why we play the games because 
what you think will be an issue or an obstacle like can certainly be overcome. And that's applicable, I mean, especially to the Chiefs with Mahomes, my goodness. But I feel like if you're a fan of an even remotely competitive team, that's got to bring at least some sort of optimism that, like, shoot, you could be looking at week six and being like, wow, you know, we just can't get the run game going or whatever. But, like, it's not a, uh, it's not necessarily written in stone that that's going to bedevil you for the whole season. True, though it helps to have one of the greatest coaches and one of the greatest quarterbacks and one of the greatest tight ends and one of the greatest defensive tackles in history on your side. Eh, details. Um, yeah, d- details, details. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it. I do still agree with your point. It doesn't have to necessarily be going great for the whole season for you to you know, feel like you, you can actually make the Super Bowl everything just has to kind of gel at the right time and you have to have the right kind of leaders, I think, um, as well as just an organization that's, that knows how to win. And there, there are some people who just have that knack or have that extra bit of edge to them, whatever you want to call it. And then there are some people who don't have it. And speaking of that, (laughs) let's talk about the 49ers because I feel bad for them to a certain degree because this was a very good game for sure. It's one of my favorite Super Bowls I think I've watched. Um, I mean, it's the only Super Bowl that's gone to overtime that didn't make me hate my life. Um, So (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's already, uh, it already takes the mantle for the best overtime victory in Super Bowl history. It took that um, place the second overtime started. Though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is my favorite overtime ever. <laughs> yeah. Um it it created some intrigue with the decision of whether or not to to take the ball or to give it, you know, to to defer in overtime. A lot has has been said about that. Uh and the fact that I know that it would have gone on to the next overtime. But there was something about the fact that the clock was ticking down and they were like, okay, we're going to run this play. And it's basically like all or nothing ish for the Super Bowl. And they ended up converting it. And like, that was it. There was something that was very, uh, it just made me feel good um, of like, oh, wow. And that was crazy. Um, And, you know, just, it just shows again that the 49ers, unfortunately, even though they played really well for the majority of the game, they had they were in position to do it. They could not find a way to get it done. And to be honest, when you have all of the pieces in place and you play like your players pretty much play well across the board, who do you look to? You look at the coach. And we we talked on the last episode about Kyle Shanahan, and like this was a this was a big deal. Can you finally get over the hump? Can you can you prove that you do have what it takes in order to to finally win that elusive ring? And unfortunately for him, he just kind of solidified the narrative that no, he can't. Even though he's one of the premier offensive minds of this generation in terms of the NFL, it just seems like he doesn't have what it takes to lead his team and over the finish line like he can get them there 
he can get super close, but when it comes down to it in the final moments, maybe he just cracks just a little bit. And that's not something that I I relish saying or anything. Like, I, I honestly feel bad for the guy. But when you have players coming out after the game and saying, we didn't understand the overtime rules. Let's talk about that for a second. Because let's if 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 I'm one of those players, do you really think that I'm coming out and I'm admitting the fact that I didn't know what the rules were of the game that I play for a living? Hell no. You best believe I'm keeping my mouth shut. I'm not saying that. You think that it makes, it's like an excuse or something. No, it just makes you look terrible and lazy for not understanding the rules of your own game. Not to mention, it just drags your coach's name through the mud. Like, it just makes your organization look like incompetent. And like, how did you even get to this point without knowing the rules? So I know Shanahan's come come back and said like, we did cover this, blah, 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 whatever. So I don't know exactly what the truth is, but it certainly seems as though a lot of these players, or at least some of them, were not aware of the situation in, in terms of going into overtime, even though they had two weeks, not to mention the entire season, to theoretically prepare for this moment. So it, it that was unbelievable when I saw that. And inexcusable. My jaw hit the floor. Um, so... I I guess I simultaneously agree and disagree. So like I agree that it looks really bad for the players. Like how of course you should know independent of the coaching. If my, if Kyle Shanahan never says a word to them about overtime rules, they should all know that, you know. I know that. And I don't even pretend to like be good at knowing all the NFL rules, you know? But I know that because of the big deal that was made about um the bills and the chiefs like i know that this is why overtime changed that was huge and not long ago and you're playing in the super bowl how do you not know um how do you not read up on it how do you not watch a youtube video how do you not how all of that said if even if kyle shanahan is assuming they know you still go over it i mean the Chiefs players came out and said that they had mul- like multiple meetings throughout the playoffs. Every week they had meetings about every like all these different scenarios, including but not limited to what do we do if we get the ball first in overtime? What do we do if we get the ball second in overtime? What do we do if we get the ball first and then kick a field goal in overtime? All these different things. The Chiefs knew it. And who did the Chiefs have instructing them on it? One of the greatest coaches ever in Andy Reid. And who did the 49ers have not reinforcing it? A coach that has become synonymous with choking in the playoffs and specifically the Super Bowl. This is his third time blowing it, at least if you include him or if you include his time as an offensive coordinator, this is his third double digit lead that he's blown in the Super Bowl. Like, I can't ignore that, you know, and I'm not saying that you're saying to ignore it, but like. I'm looking at both the players and the coach because at the end of the day, when you're the coach, you reinforce these things. You make sure the team is prepared. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, there are conflicting reports. He came out and he said that they did go over it. So I don't know who to believe, but it obviously seems like there are at least 
there's at least a segment of the players who are not aware of the rules. Uh, I do also want to point out that there is a lot of people that have said that the 49ers made the wrong decision of taking the ball first. Um, I read a pretty in-depth article, I think it was today or yesterday, um, on ESPN by Bill Barnwell, who's one of their uh, NFL writers. And he basically broke down all of the permutations and everything behind whether or not you should take the ball first or you should defer and get the ball second in overtime in in those rules. And pretty much what it came down to was it doesn't really matter that much. There's not really that big of a difference. Pretty much if you were, if your offense was, it was like a high scoring game, then you wanted to defer and take the ball second because then if the other team went down and scored a touchdown, then you know what you have to do, which is, you know, convert on all the fourth downs. If you, if you score a touchdown, maybe you go for two to win it, that kind of thing. But if it's a, you know, close, low scoring game and the offenses has, haven't been playing well, then yeah, maybe you, uh, you take the ball first, whatever. So like, it, that's basically what he was getting at. So I think there's a lot of, once he, once I read that and kind of went through it, I was like, okay, well maybe it's not such an egregious error on the 49ers part. They just didn't execute. And I think really that's what it comes down to. It's not necessarily, um, you know, what the rules might say or what the analytics might say it's can you execute with whatever decision that you made and obviously the 49ers did not go down and score a touchdown and the chiefs did and so that's what it comes down to and so the chiefs win the super bowl um and again what's the coach's job the coach's job is to put the players in the best chance or in the best positions for them to succeed and andy Reid has continued to show that he and his staff are good at doing that. And when you have elite star players at important positions who can also help as de facto coaches, leaders on the field to make sure everybody else is doing what they're supposed to do, that really helps. Um, And that can make all the difference in a a game where, let's be honest, the 49ers, if if you replay that game a hundred times, maybe the 49ers win like 47 of them or something. Um, they were really close, but at the end of the day, they didn't execute. So it was kind of, it was unfortunate to see, but just because I'm, I'm the type of guy who likes new champions and I'm, I get a little annoyed when it's the same teams over and over again, but you do have to respect greatness. And I think that's what the, you know, this version of the chiefs have solidified is that it kind of reminds me of the warriors a bit when, even when they haven't been at their best they've still found ways to to compete and win a championship even after quote their prime um and with Mahomes still being at his age and Andy Reid even though people are speculating stuff like apparently he's not going to retire anytime soon it certainly seems like if you have those two you bring back you bring back Chris Jones then like maybe you know maybe they they can run it back, but I also know that they have some cap space issues and stuff too. But either way, it was a really good game, and I think you'd have to respect the Chiefs for what they've done. And the 49ers, you got to be left scratching your head if you're a 49ers player or, or, or fan of like, what else do we have to do?
Yeah. I mean, a couple of shout outs. Like, the kickers both had great games. Uh, I wanted to highlight those. Um, even though I was rooting for the Chiefs, like, I had to clap whenever Jake Moody hit a field goal. Uh, that first one at 55 at the time, setting the Super Bowl record for longest kick, only to, like, a few minutes later be broken by Harrison Butker's 57 yarder but that was kind of crazy yeah uh the kickers were going at it I mean Jake Moody with two over 50 Harrison Butker with the 57 yarder like they were on it with the exception of Jake Moody's PAT that he kicked low and then got blocked like they were balling um Uh, yeah I mean to be fair that did completely change the outcome of the game yeah (laughs) but he still had a good performance coming into the game he'd been pretty shaky so he he still did pretty well overall but that was a pretty big error yeah then i'm looking at that uh the chiefs punt which they then recovered which you know when you watch it and like you watch the replay of it it bounces off the 49ers blockers ankle yeah it's not like like i don't look at that as an error per se by the 49ers but like that breaks the chiefs way and then they score that touchdown to marquez valdez scandling like the first play after like that should have like that was a huge momentum shift you know like that should be 49ers stop and then chiefs just immediately score i'm looking at that and then the one other thing i wanted to point well two other things i wanted to point out real quick you said like the 49ers have got to be scratching their head. Like, what do we have to do? One thing that I would look for them to do is run better. Um, I don't think they ran poorly, but their longest run was 11 yards. Like, the fact that the Chiefs were able to absolutely limit the big plays, you know, and this is against one of the best, if not the best, running backs in the NFL in Christian McCaffrey, and they're not letting him break free. Even like Brock Purdy, you know, like he had like a couple scampers, but like his longest was nine. You know, they were swarming to the ball. Um, it it actually like reminded me of what Michigan was doing this year in college football. You know, like even if like runs broke free to the outside or whatever, someone was there like really, really quickly. And then they tackled as a team. It's like fundamental stuff. Um, the 49ers could never just break off a huge one. And it showed. Um, And then the last thing I'll say, and then I'll kick it back to you. The Dre Greenlaw injury. Um, That was brutal. It was really, really tough to watch, you know. Uh, Not just that he got hurt, but getting hurt, like, not even on a play, but just getting onto the field. Uh, You can see it in his face, in Fred Warner's face. Like, they know as soon as he goes down how huge that is. I can only imagine how devastating it must feel. Like you make it to the Super Bowl, and that's how you go down. And then afterwards, you know, he gets replaced by Oren Burks, who just gets picked on. You know, like look at Travis Kelsey's performance before the Dre Greenlaw injury, and then look at it after. Like most of his catches are just out running Oren Burks on the outside or cutting back into the middle. Like, I'm not, like, Oren Burks is a backup, you know, like, I'm not expecting him to play at starter caliber, but he got picked on. Like, that's a turning point in the game. It sucks, but it happened. And and so to say, like, yeah, the 49ers win probably 47 of these 100 games, like, I agree, especially without that injury. Like, 
that's just one of those like unlucky same as the punt like it's unlucky but it's it's brutal and it has a huge impact it does and those non-contact injuries are just the worst like it's football maybe you expect somebody to roll over on your ankle or something or whatever but just running around and your Achilles just goes or your ACL goes. It's just like, man, I do this all the time, you know? And of course it just had to happen in the Super Bowl for him. So that, that was definitely disappointing and a, a, a major loss for them. But I also think at the end of the day, it's, it's not, you can look at that as an excuse, but they were still in position to, to win the game. Um, or to at least stop the Chiefs from winning the game. So it, it sucked, and I felt bad for him for sure, but they they still could have done it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think th- those are pretty much all of my thoughts on the game. I guess I'm just, inter- excuse me, I'm just interested to see, because the, the Chiefs have a few key free agents. Like Legarius Sneed, who's been such a big, weapon for them uh, at corner Chris Jones like I mentioned before he's going to be a free agent uh, they have a uh, you know the cap space is pretty tough for him so it'll be interesting to see who they decide to bring back who they decide to prioritize and going into next year you know the 49ers are set up for success right now with Brock Purdy's uh, rookie contract that has been much talked about um, so they're going to be in position to continue to battle for these Super Bowls, but you've got to wonder at, at what point do you have to make a change before you, you feel like you can actually get it done. So it'll be interesting to see. As always, the NFL is ripe with storylines. So now we kind of get into you know what's more interesting, not necessarily more interesting, but in terms of the fans of all the other teams, like we are, uh, now kind of begins the, the off season, which can be so full of promise. And maybe this year will be the year that my team stops sucking <laughs> um, and actually can get a freaking competent quarterback. Which, speaking of, I don't know if you saw this, but the odds on Justin Fields to the Falcons just went significantly up um, or down, however you, you say that with odds. Um, basically, if you bet on... Justin Fields to go to the Falcons, then you're not going to win as much money as you would have before. Uh, so I'm curious to see if that happens. Um, a lot of interesting moves still to come, but I think that's going to wrap up our Super Bowl uh, recap. And then when we come back, we'll get into a couple of our big winners and losers of the NBA trade deadline. All right, so like Dave said, we are going to get into the NBA trade deadline. And basically what we wanted to do, rather than go through every move and break that down, we just decided we're going to talk about a couple winners. We're each going to bring up a winner. We're each going to bring up a loser, maybe two, and talk about the dynamics from those specific teams or players or whatever, just as our way to just cover the important stuff from the NBA trade deadline. So. Dave, I'll kick it to you first. Who is your winner for the 2024 NBA trade deadline? So 
I am lumping in a previous deal that wasn't like at the trade deadline um, as part of this. And I am loath to say it because if you've listened to any of the NBA themed episodes, chances are we've dogged the Knicks <laughs> um, in those. We are not big fans of that organization. However, it pains me, but I have to commend them for their work uh, in the trade market this season. Potentially the biggest trade that we've seen so far this season in Oji Ananobi and Precious Achua going to uh, the Knicks. And, you know, they gave up RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly, which both of them are, are decent young building blocks for the future for sure for Toronto. But I think in some respects, Ananobi served a more important role and more of a win now role for them and that's kind of the, the whole theme of their deadline i i thought uh, was trading some youth and you know some potential for guys who can help them compete in the east this season uh also given the fact that they've been dealing with a decent amount of injuries as well uh you know a lot of these these new signings have had to step up and start playing some bigger minutes right away. Like Precious Achua has just been like in typical Tom Thibodeau fashion anyway, uh, averaging like 39 minutes a, a game or something like that recently. Um, but yeah, so they they got Ananobi and they got Achua. Um, and they also got Malachi Flynn in that deal, who they ended up flipping again to the Pistons, who ended up giving up Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks to proven... Uh, maybe starter-ish, uh, either like low-end starters or high-quality reserve players who have playoff experience. And the Knicks gave up Quentin Grimes, who's probably the, quote, crown jewel of the trade for the Pistons. Um, Malachi Flynn, like I said, Evan Fournier, who can you know was completely out of the rotation at that point for the Knicks. Ryan Arcidiacono, who like, Sorry, but who cares? Um, and two future second rounders. Nowhere in there did I say a first round pick, which is kind of unbelievable to think uh, that the Pistons were willing to give up both Bogdanovich and Burks and not receive a first round pick in return. Maybe they really think that Quentin Grimes is going to be the answer uh, to their their prayers. I don't know. But to me that was kind of crazy that the Knicks were able to swing that and just give up a couple seconds, especially given how, you know, I feel like the minimum would have been give us a first rounder, even if it's, you know, heavily protected in 2028 or something. Uh, but the Knicks were able to swing that deal. And now they're able to kind of lengthen their rotation, which number one, is going to be important come playoff time. Um, but number two, it's just going to really help them get through the season right now because of the injuries to Julius Randle. Um, Hartenstein has been dealing with some injury issues as well. Obviously, they lost Mitchell Robinson earlier in the year. So they've been really dealing with some injuries and these new players are really going to help. And you know, when everybody's healthy, they're pretty much eight deep in quality rotation pieces. And 
they all have playoff experience. So this is a team that is really going to be ready to compete. They have Michael's favorite player, Jalen Brunson. They are kind of as their superstar-ish player. Um, Julius Randle, who we'll see about his shot selection this year in the playoffs. Um, but if they get OG Ananobi back as well, and he's playing to his full potential, he's going to be able to you know, really instill that, or not even instill, but kind of continue that defensive um, identity that the Knicks have and guard some of the, you know, the best players, best wing players in the East. Um, like we know that there are. So overall, I think with those two deals, the Knicks really, yeah, they, they gave up some talented young players, but we they'd kind of seen what their ceiling was with those guys and, in getting an Anobi, first of all, like that's that, that was a coup for them. And then being able to get Bogdanovich and Burks to really fill out their rotation, provide some of that more win now talent and giving up a little bit more of the, you know, guys who could be something in the future. I think that was, that was a really shrewd move because with Embiid's injury, you know, I know it's the Celtics at the top and it's going to be tough to get past them at this point. But right now you look at the rest of the teams in the East with the Bucks slipping like they have, and the Knicks have a real opportunity to shoot up the standings or even, you know, if it takes them a little while to get fully healthy, be in a really good position in the playoffs to potentially make a an Eastern Conference Finals um, against the Celtics. Now, what I... Would I say that they would have the advantage in that series? Of course not. But with these win-now moves, I think that it is possible for them to make that next step. Do I want to see it happen? Not really. Is this a future that I can now envision because of these moves? Yes. And so you have to give credit to the Knicks for for making these moves and trying to go for it now. Number one, Mitchell Robinson expected to be back around playoff time. Julius Randle. Jalen Brunson, they'll be back in time. And if Tom Thibodeau doesn't do Thibodeau things and run them completely into the ground, I'm sure he will. Like, this team doesn't have an injury yet that is going to keep a guy out of the playoffs. And this healthy team looks good. Now, I'll enter my usual hater mode and just say this team ain't winning the damn finals. Like, chill. But if I'm a Knicks fan, I'm happy because at least they're, you know, making moves and going for it. Um, I didn't make the Pistons my loser, spoiler alert, but it is very loser-esque <laughs> that you trade away Burks and Bogdanovich and don't land a first-rounder. Not just from the Knicks, but like in general. Um, that's just kind of a mishandling of assets there especially when, like, the best thing you get back is Quentin Grimes. Like, Malachi Flynn, Evan Fournier, Ryan Arcidiacono, like, none of them, not even the combination of all of them, make up for not getting a first-rounder. And Quentin Grimes is the player that, like, you should look back on that trade as, like, like best-case best case scenario should be he's the steal, you know? Like, you get a, him and a first-rounder, and it's like, oh, that that player ended up working out really well. Not he was the headline of the trade where we got rid of Burks and Bogdanovich. Like, unbelievable. Um, it's a like, realistically, you 
if you're trading for Quentin Grimes, you're hoping that he ends up being worth Bogdanovich and Burks together anyway. Like, I guess he, he matches more with your timeline. So like the Pistons do have that going for him, but like how good will he be really? (laughs) Honestly, you know, um, I mean, that's a good way of looking at it. Like his ceiling probably is supporting role type of starter, AKA Bogdanovich. Like, come on, man. Um, it pains me as a Michigander, just unreal. Um, yeah. Uh, looking at the Knicks though, like I don't believe Jalen Brunson can be the best player on a championship team. I know that Julius Randall can't. Um, I don't think the combination of them at one and two makes us a, a uh, championship team. I really like Ananobi. I like Mitchell Robinson. I like Julius Randle, eh, I guess. Like, this team is cool and all, but, like, it's just not a – I don't think it's a championship team. But, hey, at least they're trying. And that's certainly better than some things that other teams are doing or not doing. Well, we'll see what their ceiling is, but in at least in the short term, they've definitely improved. And I think you have to commend teams when they're willing to to do that. And you don't give up anything significant in, in exchange. No first rounders. That That's a win for, for, for me in my book. Um, so now let's flip it over to you. And I'm actually going to flip it up a little bit. Why don't you talk about your loser slash losers so we're not just doing... We're not ending on the losers. We can do a a little bit of a switch up here. Works for me. And one of my losers transitions into my winner, so it works out perfectly. Um, Couldn't have planned that better, and we didn't. Um, My first loser, I focus on individuals here. PJ Tucker. Feel bad for him. (laughs) Um, I mean, they're not... He gets fined. He gets fined for his trade request and doesn't get traded. It's so dumb. Oh my god! Where where James Harden can just bitch and cry and eat freaking Cheetos or whatever until he gets traded to whatever team he wants, and KD can do it. Uh, PJ Tucker is like glued to the Clippers bench for some inexplicable reason going please let me play basketball one of the few in the proud nba players that like actively just wants to freaking play more and and ty Lue's just like mm, nah <laughs> i'm not doing that and he's like then trade me i just want to play basketball and they're like nope um <laughs> we're not gonna do that either i don't get it um like and pj Tucker's cool what the hell yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's like holding him ransom so he can, get, or or hostage so he can try to get some of those shoes. I don't know. I don't know what what Ty Lue and that front office are are on about. Um, Ty was like, "You're gonna give me them wolf grays. You're gonna give me the wolf grays." And PJ's like, "Not the grays, no." <laughs> I don't want to leave that much. Was <laughs> it uh, though? Um, but. And anyways, I I don't know. It just it is kind of crazy because you think about PJ Tucker, and you're like, yeah, this is a guy who's been a a staple on some of the 
the big playoff teams really in the Eastern Conference mostly um, over the past few seasons. And now he's just, he's going to be on one of the premier playoff teams in the West, but like they're not even going to play him. Maybe, maybe there's some kind of weird strategy and they're like, okay, we're going to deploy you in the playoffs. You're just old. So we wanted to make sure you didn't get hurt until then. Maybe there's like a, a whole plan. I don't know, but it is weird. My theory is addition by subtraction. They're like, no, we under like we don't need you, but Milwaukee might, and we don't want you to go help the enemy. Like, Fair. As much as I've tried to rationalize it, that's the best I've come up with. They're like, if we send him to Phoenix or, a, you know, across the street to the Lakers or you know whatever the hell, like, there's no reason he can't help another team beat us. I don't know, but apparently, like. His request, like, he wasn't, you know, aggressive about it. He just said, like, it says he was, like, the report that I'm getting is he was being asked, he was asking to be traded with the respect of a veteran. And that didn't happen. So he goes to social media and to say, all this shit is a effing joke. Um, I feel for him, man. Like, it's brutal. Um, but he's my first loser. Um not loser in the derogatory sense, but loser in the sense of like he didn't get what he wanted slash honestly like what he deserved. I think it's yeah, admirable that's that fair. he could like ride out his career just like chilling out front row seats every night and get paid like a good veteran minimum contract to do it. And he's like, no, I'd rather like take an active role in it. I think that's admirable. Um, the other, but he's still a loser. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, my other loser is Grant Williams. Um, <laughs> so he gets traded to Charlotte. That's it. That's the end. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> basketball <laughs> purgatory. Which, yeah, unreal. Um, so I'm just gonna read some excerpts from this report from uh, Dan Benton who wrote the um, the release on it. So Grant Williams gets traded to the Hornets at the deadline uh, and the move was motivated by more than just Williams regressing play on the court. Uh, during um, the Hoop Collective podcast, ESPN's Tim McMahon revealed that the Mavericks had become fed up with Williams' relentless yapping. Moreover, they were dismayed because the 25-year-old had let himself go. Quote, I would say one of the ways that Grant Williams rubbed people the wrong way, the yap, yap, yapping, obviously that's kind of part of it with him, which it's charmingly obnoxious if he's productive and it's grating when he's not, but he didn't report in good shape, and Grant Williams not in good shape is not a good defender. I love that. <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, an accurate summation of what's been going on in Dallas. We've seen his minutes dwindling, his per, his performance and production just plummeting. Um, we've seen like chemistry issues abound. The whole thing about like he stopped wearing Lucas, uh, I think, to wear Tatum's, um, which was just also funny and just kind of weird. Um, so they're like, okay, then scram and. <laughs> They trade him away from a Dallas team that on any given night can compete with any team in the NBA um, for a series. I don't know how far they can make it in the playoffs, but like, 
it's a relatively competitive enough team to charlotte like they don't even move him to a team with a snowball's chance in hell of of pursuing the playoffs it's just like kick rocks with no shoes bitch like (laughs) (laughs) i'm so amused by it um and just on that note let me just go ahead and transition I, i mean obviously like feel free to respond to that but i just wanted to say that my winner here is the Mavericks. Get rid of Grant Williams. Um, That's funny. uh, When they move him to Charlotte, you know, they don't just get rid of him, but they get rid of the drama that they were dealing with with him. And they get back P.J. Washington, uh, who's a good uh, young player that fits their team pretty well. Um, Additionally, they're able to make a move where they essentially turn Rashawn Holmes, whose playing time was also dwindling, as was his performance, for Daniel Gafford, who has since been producing well for them. Uh, He's on the upswing in his career, and he fits their team really well. Like, the Mavericks got better. I will say they did have to give up two first-rounders, basically turning them into two second-rounders, if we just kind of summarize the trade deadline in its totality. But the two pieces they get back are good foundational pieces that pair perfectly with Luca and at least for now, Kyrie, who knows how long he'll be there, but Daniel Gafford and PJ Washington will always work with Luka Doncic way more so than Grant Williams or Seth Curry or Rashawn Holmes. Like I love what the Mavericks did, not just for this year, but moving forward. Like if they don't win this year, this was not a failure of a trade of, these were not failures of trades at all. This works for them for like the next few years. As long as they keep these players, that works really, really well. Yeah, I think it does. And no one can can say that the Mavericks didn't try and keep Luka. If Luka does end up moving on, <clears throat> I can't remember. I think maybe it's in a couple years there's an opt-out or something there. Um, if If he ends up moving on, People are going to be like, you know, we tried to we we traded Kyrie or we traded for Kyrie to give him a second star. You know, we uh we got rid of Grant the Chihuahua Williams, <laughs> the relentless yapper himself, and and replaced him with with a young ascending player in PJ Washington. You know, brought in Daniel Gafford, a, a lob threat, uh, and a, a guy to to help you know fill in some of Derek Lively's minutes too, like. At least they're trying to to do you know to to make some changes to to improve the team. So you already know that you know they're they're looking at whenever that you know whenever Lucas' contract does run out or there, there's an opt out, and they're trying to do whatever they can. So yeah, I do think that they got better uh, this season. Uh, PJ Washington, he's he was having a little bit of a down year this year, but overall, I mean, he's an upgrade. I never thought Grant Williams was. I, I really didn't understand why they signed him to that contract in the first place, um, and it really did kind of stink of that he signed his deal and then wasn't taking stuff too seriously after that. He's like, I'm set. Um, I got my money. I'm good. And now he has to go playing in charlotte so uh sorry grant williams but yeah 
I think that's that's a pretty tough fall from from potentially almost or maybe not almost, but you know, competing in the finals on the Celtics to wallowing away in in Charlotte. It's it's, it's bad. Yeah, I'd also like to apologize because I realized you were like, oh, well, if you do your losers, then we can end on a good note when we get, because then you do your losers and then we do my winner. And then I just hijacked that and now we're ending on your loser. No, well, it's not back-to-back losers though. Okay, yeah. We're talking about winner and then we're just going to end on a loser. Um, And I'm not going to spend too much time on it because there's not really much to talk about because it's the Chicago Bulls who refuse... To do, we're talking about the Mavericks trying to get better and trying to make something happen. The Bulls are the opposite of that. In fact, they haven't traded away a player, apparently, since August of 2021. So that's two and a half years ago. Um, and have only traded away two players originally acquired um, by their executive vice president of basketball operations, Al Farouk Aminu and Garrett Temple. So basically, this guy is refusing to admit that he was wrong. Um, Arturis Karnisovas, I'm going to just throw that out there and hope it sticks. Um, and he's just like, oh, well, this is this is what I've done. And so this is just going to work. And we're going to make it work. And it's obviously not working. Zach Levine is potentially, I know that, that they say that he has an injury. Maybe he does. I don't know. Um, but regardless, he doesn't want to be there anymore. I feel for DeMar DeRozan because he's just kind of stuck in Chicago now and wasting away kind of the last prime years of his career. Um, same with Caruso. You know, I was I was hoping that Caruso and, and Drummond would get traded at the deadline. Um, and nope, they're just going to be stuck there in Chicago doing absolutely nothing. It's it's very obvious to me that Chicago just needs to blow it up. It's not working out. Instead, they re-sign Vucevic to a you know a big extension. At least Kobe White's looks good, uh, you know, starting for them. But who know who even knows about the Lonzo Ball situation? If if he'll play basketball again, uh, it's just a really bad situation there. And instead of trying to make something happen, instead they're like, nope. We're just gonna we're gonna keep this group together so we can get knocked out in the play-in tournament again. Like it's it it's it's just it's just bad if you're a if you're a Bulls fan. Uh, to be honest, I feel kind of similarly about the Hawks, but I do think that the ceiling for the Hawks is higher than the ceiling for the Bulls. Um, not that not much higher, grant you, but I, it's still it's still one of those uh, situations where. If you're a Bulls fan, you're like, well, we're going to be probably bad for quite a few years. Um, and if they just refuse to to trade any of the players, then who knows when we'll get out of of the you know this middle ground, not even middle, like bottom middle ground that is the worst place to be in in the NBA. So the Bulls are my my big loser from the trade deadline, and it's. It's not a great time to be a Bulls fan, that's for sure. Bring back the 90s. Yeah, the Bulls were my big team loser as well, just for just sheer inactivity. It's pathetic, really. 
like so many things have to change there and so few things are changing literally nothing's changing so i think it's time for the fun fact and if you listened to last episode then you would have heard me kind of fumble my way through the transition which is typically what mike does to my fun fact of the episode well i'm going to try to do so again to redeem myself so mike was just talking about the fact that the bulls were just kind of sitting on their hands laying around not doing anything what does that remind me of going on your honeymoon for us that was laying on the beach in cancun um i'm not sure exactly what that's going to be for michael i'll let him decide to disclose that or not um at his discretion but what i am going to talk about is how did this whole idea of a honeymoon come about where did the term originate from because it's kind of a random thing and surely at some point somebody had to decide we just got married we're gonna go on a trip together um so interestingly enough uh the word honeymoon comes from the scandinavian practice of drinking mead which also apparently is fermented honey i didn't know that i just thought mead was like just a normal beverage but apparently it's fermented honey which is interesting anyways um so typically people in scandinavia way back in the day would drink mead um because apparently it was supposed to improve the likelihood of conception back then i guess they were thinking that, that was the case um and this would be during the first month of the marriage aka one moon cycle back in those days therefore honey in terms of the mead moon for, you do it for a month pretty much um so i was like okay so i don't really know if <laughs> basically what they're saying is if you drink alcohol then you're more likely to potentially engage in certain relations which uh you know i mean i guess that makes sense right uh, <laughs> talk about a fun fact um Haha. Ha. Um, anyways, and then also apparently, um, in terms of the trip aspect of it, um, couples in 19th century Britain used to go on their honeymoon and went on a bridal tour where they traveled to visit friends and family who weren't able to attend the wedding ceremony, which imagine that happening now, instead of going and laying on the beach in Cancun or going to the mountains or or something instead <laughs> you're like all right we're gonna we're gonna go make the rounds and um visit that that weird uncle that we just inv in invited because we felt like we had to who lives up in the middle of nowhere uh and that's how we're gonna spend our first month together as a as a married couple uh thankfully that's obviously not the case and it evolved over time but i did think that was interesting that somehow it's it's moved from that being the case which to be honest is a much more selfless act and instead like let's just go and do nothing in a you know somewhat exotic location or, or foreign location to what we're used to i can't describe how preferable that is to me <laughs> like <laughs> And you're like, oh, you didn't come to my wedding? Well, now I'm coming to your house. 
and I will be able to explain it to me in person why you weren't there. By the way, where's my gift? <laughs> Have you seen my registry? Um, <laughs> I'll take a check. <laughs> Same. Who wouldn't? Um, also, I like how you were like, oh yeah, if you uh, consume more alcohol, you're more likely to engage in relations. I haven't... I'm not going to comment on the... Uh, validity of that though i will say as a sort of fun little throwback that's not even my favorite sexual thing that you've brought up in one of your fun facts because now i'm thinking back to like two years ago when you brought up the what was it the was it called the The, incest blocker (laughs) the icelandic app that all of them have on their phones and they bump the apps together to, and then it'll it tell us them if they're related far enough away to where they could be sexual partners. Yes. Uh huh. Was that what it was called though? Um, I think that was a feature on the app. It loosely translated from Icelandic. Ah. But who cares if that's actually what it means? It it makes for a good a good fun fact. So all time classic. Uh huh. But. Yes, uh, the transition was improved. Um, I will, I promise, during my honeymoon, which will be in like less than two months, I will at least one time think about that fun fact and how glad I am <laughs> that I'm in the mountains and not, I don't know, at one of my cousin's houses or something. I was about to say, which family member are you about to call out right now? <laughs> who knows if they listen to this but that would be hilarious if they did seriously <laughs> that's what you get for not listening <laughs> uncle blank uncle blank <laughs> anyways um so yeah so there you have it now instead of drinking mead and going to visit our distant relatives we just drink margaritas and lay on the beach so you know i can't say that 21st century People do everything right, but at least we figured that part out. We got that so, one. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah, we got that that one particular thing that's very specific right. So good for us. Nice. And um, good for you for making it this far in the episode. Uh, we appreciate you listening and being here, of course. Hope that you enjoyed um you know, the, the basketball talk, the, the Super Bowl recap, and any of the general shenanigans that went on before and after those segments. Um, we will be back in a couple weeks, of course, with another episode. We're looking forward to recording that one as well. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, we appreciate you listening. As always, be sure to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. And let us know your thoughts on any of the stuff that we've talked about, any big Super Bowl takeaways, any bigger winners or losers than the ones we discussed, or anything that you just want mentioned on future episodes or, you know, whatever. Uh, interact with us there. Share us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. Leave us those positive reviews. We appreciate it. If you were going to leave a negative review, don't. Just don't do that. Why would you? How could you? But whatever you do, be sure to check out that next episode coming out in two weeks. 
but until then this has been mike this has been dave and you've been listening to the mike and dave podcast <laughs>